0: and welcome to the When's My Time podcast. I'm Ozzy Ayer, founder of whensmytime.com and I aim to be your boss's worst nightmare. Well, it's Tuesday evening, Tuesday the 1st of November 2016 and you heard that right, it is the evening and you know that if you're a regular listener I normally record these on a morning before or just after walking my little dog Jack. It's been a pretty cold day here. Yesterday was a beautiful warm day, and uh, autumn hit with a bit of a bang today. It's been cold, it's been overcast, it's been dull, but as I say every time, you don't listen to this for a weather report. But sometimes when I do give these weather reports, are you like me? Do you ever wonder? It's all very well hearing what it's like in your part of the UK, but what's it like in Dothan, Alabama? That's what I really want to know. And, well, wouldn't you know it? I've got just the person to tell us. Here with us tonight is Tony Rush. So, Tony, what's it like in
1: Dothan, Alabama? Oh, it's a beautiful, sunny, 30 degrees Celsius. I had to look that up, actually, because it's 87 (laughs) to me, but it's 30 to you. It's absolutely gorgeous.
0: <laughs> well, in that case, that's the end of this conversation. Good night, Tony, because you've made me very jealous indeed. No, thank you so much indeed for joining me. It's, it's great to have you here. Now, I, I have to tell you, Tony, you are the first ever guest I've had on here. Um, the other 99 episodes so far, and this is the 100th episode. So it's a double celebration. I've got a guest, and um, it's our 100th episode. On all other occasions, it's just been me been me rabbiting on about a a thought and, um, well, it's kind of taken off because we're now... In I think the last time I checked, we're now in 33 countries. We've been downloaded, which is humbling and um, greatly satisfying. But let me tell you, and Tony might get a little bit embarrassed about this, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tony, if that's okay, mate. Um, maybe you want to turn <laughs> your turn your headphones off while I, I say this <laughs> a little bit, Tony. But I, I met Tony first, uh, and his beautiful, charming, and very smart wife, Jessica, back in 2012 at an event in Atlanta. Now, I already had identified Tony as a leader because I'd followed him online. But I also identified him as one who thought differently from so many others out there. So a bit like a stalker, I hunted him down (laughs) when I was in Atlanta, made sure I got to know him. And in the subsequent years, our paths have followed different routes, but crossed occasionally. And I have never I can hand on heart say this, I've never had an encounter with Tony without gaining enormous value from it and coming away feeling all the richer. And so when I sat down to make a list of who I might invite to be my first ever guest on this show, uh, this 100th episode, Tony's was the first name I wrote down on it. Um, So Tony, I can't tell you what a pleasure and privilege it is to have you joining me uh, on the When's My Time podcast. So, Tony, perhaps you'd just like to fill in a little bit of an introduction of yourself on there and tell people a little bit about what it is you do. And we'll we'll come back to that in more detail in a moment. But uh, I feel I've undersold you in that introduction.
1: (laughs) No, no, not at all. I'm actually blushing a little bit. I I appreciate the kind words. And I I have to say I feel a little bit of... um, Oh, I feel I really hope this goes well. You've got 99 amazing episodes in the can, (laughs) and so it's it's a bit of a high wire act for me. So you're you're looking at this as this is going to be you know a a great way to celebrate the 100th episode, and I'm sitting here thinking, boy, I sure hope there's a hundred (laughs) and (laughs) first episode. Listen, this may be so good we don't need to do any more
0: after this. Come on, let's look at it that way.
1: Let's not set the bar that <laughs> high. But it, truly, it is a it is a pleasure to be here. And uh, Jessica and I both think the word of you. I think, yeah, I remember we you and I sat in uh, there was like a little corner of the lobby, the downstairs lobby of. Um, uh, that's exactly it was it. The Omni Hotel, maybe yeah, Atlanta, yeah, Georgia. It was. Yeah, and we did an interview, and it was yeah. the first time I met you. And of course, now I've seen you and 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 Carol. We let's say I guess the last time we. Uh, where were we? We were in, um, well, we were in London, but I'm trying to think. It was like a restaurant somewhere there somewhere near. was Simpsons Garden.
0: on the Strand. We, was it Simpsons on the Strand? Well, we the, did And Simpsons then there was, on the th- there was that. And then there was later in the week, wasn't there? The, later in the, the week, we went to a, a, was it a bistro or something? It Quite was late something. at night, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, it was very late. And it was maybe in Covent Garden, I think. And, yes, and, that's right.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: it was fantastic. I always enjoy spending time with you. So I was very, very happy that, uh, to, to get the invitation to come and hang out with you. Well that's
0: great. Now I'm going to be a, Tony I hope you forgive me I'm going to be a little rude here and keep hmm. you waiting and the guests who are listening in uh, a little bit longer uh, because I'm guessing once word gets out uh, that Tony's my guest this evening uh, this will be the most listened to episode so far and I'm not just saying that to blow smoke I, I generally think that. And what that means is we'll attract a whole bunch of new listeners who don't know that what the whole when's my time thing is about so if it's okay with you tony i'd just like to do a, a very quick introduction as to
1: sure what, let what me what just do one about. thing first hmm. if i could sure. hang on one second Please hey, jessica uh ha- email carol and tell her my fee just went up <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm 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 back, Ozzy. Fair, I just fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Just unrelated. That was not
0: was <laughs> something else. Okay, that's fair enough. Now, this this whole project started back. Ooh, I can tell you the exact date, Tony, when this started. It was Thursday, the twelfth of August, two thousand and ten. And although I didn't know it at the time, you see, Carol and I had driven down to to Italy. Uh, we. I think I mentioned we've got a little Jack Russell Terrier and we didn't we wanted to take him with us and we didn't want him cratered up in the plane. So we drove down. Three days' drive versus a 2 hours' flight. It was uh, no contest. But we'd rented out this beautiful cottage high in the hills of Umbria, which is in, in, more or less in the middle of the country. And it was our first trip away in three years. And we both really needed it because a few weeks before that trip, my mother had died. And in the space of a few short months, four of Carol's closest friends, all around our age or, or younger, were diagnosed with cancer. And when that kind of stuff happens around you, I don't know about you, but you begin to have uh, thoughts about your own mortality. And that, while we were away, was exactly what happened to me, but not in a morbid way. It was, it was in a very positive way indeed. So that night, that Thursday evening on the 12th of August back in 2010, as Carol and I sat together on the, the terrace of this little cottage. I mean, it's the most divine little place. Uh, it was the end of a perfect day, and we sat on this terrace, and the only illumination was from the stars above, and if you can imagine it, way down the valley, on a far distant hillside were the lights of Assisi twinkling off down there. And I was thinking back about the 12 years that I'd spent in a job I hated. And the 20 years I'd been in a job that I merely tolerated, 32 years in total. And that job that I'd been in for 22, uh, 20 years, I'd be returning to that job in a few days. And in all that time, what I was thinking, these were all the thoughts that were going around my head at that time. In all that time, I'd missed out on so much, not least of which was our two boys growing up. And I remember turning to Carol and I said, next week, when I'm back at work, I go to the back of the queue, the end of the line, for my own time. Everybody else has a prior call on what I do with my day. I'm just not prepared to do that anymore. When's my time to do the things we want to do? When's my time to live the life we want to live? And when's my time to become the person I'm meant to be? And without missing a beat, Carol looked back at me and and she said, you're right, you need to make changes. And although I didn't know it at the time, at that moment, the the seed that was eventually to become the When's My Time project, uh, which is all about helping people in, in similar situations who are facing similar decisions that uh, feel trapped by fear, if you like, in a job that they hate or just merely tolerate, that they're not doing what they feel they're supposed to be doing. In that moment, That's when, when's my time was born? As I say, I didn't know it at the time, and I'd be lying if I said things went swimmingly thereafter. They didn't, there have been ups and downs. But I can promise you, every day since I decided back on that hillside to leave corporate life, every day since then, has been more fulfilling since any day than the 32 years that I was in corporate life. Thank you, Tony, for indulging me there, and allow me to explain what the When's My Time project is about. Uh, what I'd like to do now, though, is, is talk to you. I, in fact, Tony, can I ask? Was there a moment in your life that you decided enough's enough?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I was sitting. I was well listening to you tell this, and I had I had heard I had heard this story before. Um... Sorry, I tell it an awful lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was actually just reviewing, you know, one of your previous episodes this morning. Thank you. Um, and uh, hearing you tell that story made me think of um, yeah. I can tell you exactly where it happened. I was driving back. Um, I was I was living in a, I was living in a small town in um, North Carolina, which is on the eastern coast of the United States, and. Um, not too far from where I grew up. I grew up in a, a, small farming village, um, almost exactly in the, in the center of the state. And my dad was, a uh, uh, actually when I was born, my dad was uh, in livestock. He was mm-hmm. a hog farmer and my mom worked for the, uh, Ever Ready Battery Company. At the time it was actually called Union Carbide. And, um, anyway, so I, I grew up, you know, uh, in a, we weren't poor, mm-hmm. uh, but you know meaning uh we always i never went to bed hungry you know but i got laughed at for you know being at school and you know my jeans were too short because i don't know maybe i'd grown real fast over the summer or the my clothes had you know shrunk in the wash but mm-hmm. mom couldn't afford to buy me jeans that fit and so i remember you know when i was a kid you know, getting laughed at, and it was related to, po- you know, uh, not poverty uh, in the sense that the world talks about poverty, but, you know, just the realizing that there's the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, and kids and so can, be, kids can a, be
0: cruel, can't they? Kids can be cruel. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. it really, really had an impact mm. on me, but overall, a very happy childhood, mm. wonderful parents, lots of love, great sister, um, and so, but that was sort of the soup that I swam in every day, was... Um, you know, there's not enough to go around and you got to work hard and usually have to do the work for somebody else. And, you know, so just by virtue of just kind of knee jerking my way through my environment, I wound up in a similar situation like you're describing where Mm -hmm. suddenly, um, in my early thirties, uh, realizing that I had no control over my life, you know, I was living on minimums um, yeah. And I love how you put that, um, you know, always at the back of the queue, always at the back of the line for whatever's left over is yeah. what you get.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah. So I do remember the day it changed. I was driving home. Um, like I said, I was probably in my early thirties, maybe 31 or 32. And at the time we lived in a, a, um, a really tiny little old house way out in the country. Um, It took me, you know, 20, 30 minutes outside of like like the town that I'm talking about was already small. I live 20 miles outside of the little town (laughs) and, you know, just there's not even a, it's not on the map. Not at the end of the world, but you got a good view of it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I was driving, I was driving home and, um, they had, there was a new neighborhood that they had built on highway 42 on my way home. And it was, it, I had watched them, you know, build this neighborhood, but this particular time of day, I don't know what was different. I don't know what had changed. I don't know why I had the thought that I had this day instead of any other day. But all I know is that that day I went by this neighborhood and it was that time of day where all the, all the people are coming home from work. And here's all these beautiful little houses. They weren't mansions, uh, huh. Just normal, new, comfortable, middle-class homes and, you know, nice manicured lawns and, uh, kids playing in the front yard with toys. And here comes mom and dad are coming, getting out of the car. And Ozzy, I just got mad. Mm. It just, I was so tired because I knew that I was going to be at home in about 15 minutes, except I didn't have a nice house my, my wife and kids were at home with no vehicle because I was driving the only vehicle we had and fortunate that it was running. Um, and I knew that there was no food in the refrigerator and that we were probably going to have to, you know, go to the grocery store a little bit later to pick up, you know, some bologna or something, you know, just a a small meal. And, uh, anyway, driving by this neighborhood, I, I got angry, but not angry at the economy not angry at a political party. I wasn't angry at the people in those houses. I wasn't angry about gas prices. I wasn't mad about my job or my salary. I was mad that at 31 years of age, I had not made the priority and the livelihood of my family, the priority. Uh I I had not given it its proper place. I, I was playing small. I knew I was playing small. I was playing it safe um, not living on purpose, but instead just kind of always feeling like I was backed into a, a corner. Uh, you know, I wasn't working at the job that I chose. I was working at the job that was available and who would hire me, you know, that's, I didn't want to work there, but that's, they had an opening and they said, okay, come to work. And suddenly I find myself, you know, living where I don't want to live, doing what I don't want to do. And so, yeah, that was the day. And, um, yeah. You do you do you want the punchline? Go you on. Go for it. Okay. So the punchline was, I um I got home and I walked in and I said, I told my wife. My wife's name's Jessica. And I said, um, Oh, Ozzy knows that, but you guys <laughs> might not. Um, but I told Jessica, I said, we're we're packing. We're moving. And as all great wives can do, she looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> <laughs> What what do you, what do you mean? We're moving. We don't, we barely have money to get the baloney you're talking about. What yeah. are you talking about moving? You know? <clears throat> and I said, well, here's, here's what I know. I know that we're not going to die living in this house. That's about all I know. I know yeah. you love, me. I know the kids love me. I know I love you guys. I know that we we're healthy and we've got a good family, but that's about all I know. But I also know we're not going to die living in this house. So if I can't do anything else, I'm going to go ahead and pack for the move whenever it happens, whenever we're going to do it. But I've got to, I've got to do something today for our future. And I don't know what's, what that's going to look like. But when we went out to buy our little packet of bologna, I asked the grocery store manager, do you have some empty boxes? And he gave us a bunch of empty boxes and Jessica and I came home and we ate. And then while the kids were playing, we sat in the living room and started boxing up, you know, the, the dishes that, you know, Jessica got from her grandmother and boxing up, you know, stuff we didn't use on anything. We didn't use on a day to day basis. We started boxing up and, um, I wish I could say that something magical happened in response to that. And I don't, there, there was a lot of changes, um, but it wasn't just something magical, but because of that resolve and because of starting to step into like getting into the driver's seat of my car and putting my hands on the steering wheel instead of just riding along, um, the decision to get in the driver's seat changed everything. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, you were taking a practical step, weren't you? You you were doing something physical, tangible towards that future that you wanted.
1: Yes. And and what's interesting is I didn't realize actually that's what I was doing because about six months later, our life was completely different. I was living in another house 600 miles away, Mm -hmm. a much nicer house, nice neighborhood, still not wealthy, of course. But we were making really good money. I, th- I think at that time, um, I had gone from making about $1,000 a month mm-hmm. to, I think at that point, we were probably making somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 3000 a week. Gosh. So, we were really digging ourselves out of that hole that we had put ourselves in. And um, at the time, I had sort of bought into some of the more esoteric explanations. Uh-huh for what i had done I, I i thought that you know i had done some magical trick <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah 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 i yeah. thought yeah we might, it might be worth
0: touching on though that, that's that, that sort of thinking okay because well, i i know there's i mean the majority sorry i'm cutting across you tony but i think the majority of the listeners to these podcasts are probably in a position now where we found ourselves a little while ago that 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 probably not quite at the tipping point, but they'll start looking around. I know I did. Yeah, yeah. I started looking around for explanations, looking around for what I could do. And there's there's a lot out there and there's a lot of conflicting messages out there. Right. And some of it, uh, some of it I personally think is quite dangerous. Uh, I don't know about you, but some of it uh, can build a false hope. I'm, I'm No way do I ever want to take anybody's hope away from them. Never right. want to do that. But some of it, at times, I feel is he's um, shall we say, a little bit too woo woo.
1: Is that fair? I like that woo woo. Yeah, is that a phrase across the pond uh, as it well? It certainly is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 I'm of the same mindset. I, I never want to take the wind out of somebody's sails, and. I'll say that there were things that led to my There were things that I thought was happening that led from me going from struggle and poverty to, um, uh, prosperity, let's use that term or abundance or wealth or whatever we want to call it, the dramatic change in how I live today versus then. Um, there were things at the time that I thought were creating that, that were, soundly in the category of what you would call woo-woo. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I don't know that those things were completely without value. Uh, for instance, I remember one time a guy told me, he said, you know, go, go buy a magazine and cut out pictures of things that you, you want. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there, you know, there was some value in that because you don't know what you don't know. So getting a magazine and finding out what kind of car that I liked, that was kind of helpful actually, or, or, You know, or discovering, you know, like, hey, here's a certain style house, and I've always seen that house, and I didn't know what it was called, and now I know that's a a Tudor style home, and Mm -hmm. okay, so maybe I'll cut that out. There, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think where it goes sideways is when somebody takes a little project like that. And they say, well, hey, just just by cutting these pictures out and putting them on a board and looking at them every day is going to make it happen. Yeah. And yeah. that's where it actually wasn't until several years later when I started unraveling how, how did I get here? Like, what what are the bits that actually worked, and what are the parts that were kind of noise? Mm. And and I don't, I wouldn't claim to have all this figured out, but I do, I have identified in my own life, several blind alleys that I did wind up going down. Um, and I will agree with you. I think some of them, they actually, um, they can keep you stuck. Yeah. Uh, they, they, and the question I get sometimes is somebody says, well, what's the harm? What, what, if, if I choose to believe in the power of positive thinking and, or if I, if I choose to believe that, you know, just, just thinking about my goals is going to make something happen. What's the harm in that? And my usual answer is, I don't think there's any harm in it as far as that goes, but that's never as far as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it usually invariably turns into somebody arranging their lives around that idea that they're going to the universe is going to rearrange itself in response (laughs) to what's on your goal list. And, and when you start making decisions in your life about bank accounts and cars and mortgages and relationships, and I mean, I've seen, I've seen people really, really drive their lives into a ditch Mm. because they thought that the thing that they were doing was going to be, make them successful. And the truth is, they weren't even looking in the right direction, so it's a little frustrating to, to No,
0: I. I, I they to, to have to
1: sort all that out. But you're right. There's a lot of noise out Listen, there. Listen, I've been
0: enough down enough blind alleys myself, and
1: um, I've
0: also, uh, I think now looking back, wrongly attributed certain successes to 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 that side of things. I mean, um, w- a couple of examples, if you don't mind me giving you. Um, one was when I gave, as a young chap, I, I gave up smoking. I used to smoke and I stopped and uh, the, the way I did that was quite simple. It was I was young and single, uh, but I was in a job where in those days you used to be able to smoke in the office and that sort of stuff. And, and so uh, I'd probably get through at least a pack a day, sometimes more. Now, I wouldn't necessarily smoke them all because you'd light one up and you'd put it down in the ashtray because you'd pick a cooler you know that sort of stuff (laughs) But you'd get you get through you get through at least a pack a day i used to smoke i would burn two packs a day but smoke one yeah yeah that's that's (laughs) right but one day uh i one evening i was out out with the boys as we'd say over here we'd gone out for a few drinks and um and I used, to, I used to live in a small village in a county called Derbyshire, which is right in the middle of, of, of England. It's right in the middle of the UK. So it's in the Midlands. Uh, I lived in a village and I used to get a bus into town, which was about three, four miles away, and I'd catch the last bus home after a few beers. And there was a, one, of, one of the group, there was about seven, eight, nine of us used to go out on a regular basis. Um, and one of the guys had had a, a cold. He'd had sort of a fluy thing a couple of weeks before, and during that time, he stopped smoking and hadn't smoked since. Anyway, we would—shall we say—strong drink had been taken. Leave it at that. But I, I went over to the—I don't even know if they still have these vending machines over here now because smoking just banned everywhere, you know. Um, I went over to the vending machine to get a pack to see me on the bus home, and as I got back to to my seat. Dave, who sadly is no longer with us, but Dave said to me, ah, you're a slave to it or something, you know, some something of those words. So you know, it was a derogatory remark about me being a slave to, to, to nicotine or something like that. And I sort of half jokingly grabbed him by the lapels and pulled him towards me and looked him in the face. And with the other hand, I screwed up this pack of cigarettes that I just bought and said, you will never see me smoke another cigarette again. And I threw him down. And of course, there's about eight or nine people watching me do this, make an absolute idiot of myself in the pub. You know, I was really quite loud about this. And incidentally, I don't drink now either. I haven't had a drink for 15 years. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did. It was the best thing I ever did because I made this big stand about it. I'd put it out there that I was never going to smoke again. And so my own pride stopped me doing that. Mm. Doing that again. My own pride stopped me. But also, a trick that I learned... And if anybody on here listening to this is a smoker and wants to 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 give up, wants to, to quit smoking, this is the trick that I learned. That I tried. I'd actually tried quitting smoking several times before. But it was that sort of weasel word, tried. Because when you try something, if it doesn't work out, you can say, oh, well, I tried it. It didn't work. And I went back. But this time, I had said, I'm never going to smoke again. But also, whenever anybody offered me a cigarette in the future, whenever anybody offered me a cigarette in the future, instead of saying, no thanks, I've quit, or no thanks, I'm trying to give up, or words to that effect, I used to just say, no thanks, I don't smoke. Mm-hmm. Now, Tony, is the next smoker. When you were smoking, if you'd have offered somebody a cigarette and they said, no thanks, I don't smoke, would you have said, go on, try one, it won't hurt?
1: Um... Not if they, not really if, my personality but I can definitely see how the it, it, it would I can see how that kind of language would still leave a door open yeah
0: yeah you see I, I found that by saying no thanks I don't smoke not no thanks I'm quitting or I've quit right I, I found that shot that actually shut the door maybe it's a it's a cultural thing you know British or whatever but it shut the door right. nobody would say to me in the past when I'd said no thanks I've quit I'd, I'd get the oh one won't hurt oh i see, you see, what, I I I see what you but mean when i magic, said no yeah. no thanks i've quit i'd get I'd, I'd that person would never offer me again even people right. who knew me as a smoker no thanks i don't smoke they would never offer me a cigarette again and that was mm-hmm. that was doing two things it was cut it was cutting off that line of supply if you like but it was right. it was also reinforcing to myself that i that i don't sm- you know that i don't smoke i'm a non-smoker some people have told me that that uh, and i don't know whether it's true that my subconscious was also hearing the fact that i was a non-smoker i don't know whether that's true but i know that the practical step of saying no thanks i don't smoke cutting off that supply probably had a greater effect for me because i removed the temptation and therefore right. it helped me not smoke But another thing later was uh, when I was learning to drive. Somebody told me about affirmations, and over here I don't. I I know it's a different thing over there. People drive earlier over there than they do over here. I mean, we can't drive till we're seventeen over here. Uh, I think it's earlier over there. Am I right? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, you can get a you can get a full blown license at sixteen, right, right. but you can get a learner's permit at fifteen or and a half, yeah, depending yeah. on Crikey. the state, Gosh. I believe.
0: Right. Well, yeah. anyway, I I sort of uh, learned to drive a, a little bit later, uh, but somebody told me about affirmations, and over here, I think the average is something like twenty, thirty lessons before you you know pass your test, you have a driving test, and you pass. And I got through it in seven. But I'm sure. The affirmations, all all they did was put me in the... They didn't bring about anything magical other than putting me in the right frame of mind to learn, to do the practical stuff. It wasn't a magical thing that was going on there. It just put me in a better frame of mind to learn how to to drive. Does that make sense? Sure. You know, people would put it down to this, this magical standing in front of a mirror and, you know, these incantations that I was going through um uh, and i i think it's a more practical thing than that i don't think there's the mysticism behind it that a lot of people put behind it but if it listen that's my interpretation if if you're into your affirmations in a big way if you believe there is a mystic power that's doing that and it's working for you that's the key thing if it's making you do the thing that's okay but don't just rely on it and not mm, do and not yeah. take the practical
1: steps well there's there's a um do you do you know that if I say the name Andy Nyman do you know who I'm talking about?
0: Oh, that name you know does Andy Yeah Nyman. yeah
1: that name Isabel definitely. No. Andy Nyman is a uh UK, uh he's a mentalist in the UK. That's right, yeah. He's the writer creator with Darren Brown mm. for I think most of Darren Brown's live shows I believe Andy has has I've seen him uh, on the code that's
0: where that's, yeah
1: Yeah. And he, and he's also uh, an actor in his own right. I think he's, um, he's, he's got a a new film coming out soon. Um, it's got some well-known names in it, but Andy has, uh, I've, I've got a, a, I've been fascinated with magic and mentalism since I was a kid. Mm. And, um, the United Kingdom just has the, the best mentalists. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. Some of the, some of the, the most clever uh, around the corner thinkers in the, the world of magic, you know, they do the, the Blackpool convention every mm-hmm. year. It's a big deal at Blackpool. And anyway, there's just so much wonderful magic and mentalism happening in the UK. And so I have kept up with both uh, Darren Brown and Andy Nyman for several years. And, Interestingly, magicians have a fantastic perspective on uh, the conversation about cause and effect Mm. for obvious reasons, because their job is to obscure the relationship between cause and effect. Um, They would rather you not know how something, how an effect was created. So, you know, they want to say, hey, look, here is the handkerchief. And I do this with it, and look, now it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's over there in a pocket. And in order to do that convincingly, they have to actually look at the timeline of cause and effect, and then they have to either remove or insert steps that you're not aware of so that at the end you see the effect, but you the, the cause is in complete mystery. Mm-hmm. It's it's So that's the nature of what magic is about. Well, the side effect of that is because these guys are always so great at obscuring cause and effect, because they have such a wonderful perspective about how effects and causes are related, well, they also happen to be, um, if they have good communication skills, they're really good at talking about the kind of stuff you and I are talking about right now, Mm -hmm. which is what is the thing that's actually causing me to have the results. Why, why did I make a million dollars that year? What was different that year than the year before? Or why is it that all of a sudden here's a, here I was in this. Well, I'll give you an example. I was, I was uh, working, uh, in a direct sales company and I was earning commission and I couldn't figure out which end was up to save my life. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, and I mean, when I say all of a sudden, I mean within a matter of a week, I don't mean like gradually over a period of months in the matter of a week, suddenly I made a little over $4,000 and then consistently made several thousand dollars every single week after that until, um, seven months later we had our first and I'm speaking U S dollars, mm-hmm. uh, $60,000 month. So, mm. so like you stand back and you mm. think, okay, where where's the call? Yeah. What what changed? Same company, same product, same compensation, same marketing you know materials, same everything. What changed? And so, uh, the reason I brought up Andy Nyman is because we all have uh, a worldview, or we could call it a belief system. We could call it uh, a worldview, a perspective on. How money works, how happiness works, how health works, whatever. Like the results that I'm getting in my life are, uh, somewhat a reflection of the worldview that I'm holding. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that Andy has, and I'm calling him Andy. I'm not, I don't know him. I've never met him. I've, I've had a, a very brief email exchange with him and he seems like a very, very nice man. Um, but I, I don't know him, so I shouldn't probably call him mm-hmm. Andy. But one of the things that Andy Nyman is really, really good at is in having these conversations, and this is a long way around, but he, he starts off by saying, Hey, let's do this. Let's take what you think about this topic. Let's put that in this box Mm -hmm. and let's close it. Look here, here it is. It's not going anywhere. It's safe in this box. And let's put it right here on the table. Everybody can still see it. And let's just have a, a new conversation. Let's, have some new dialogue. Let's look at new ideas or let's look at old ideas in a different way and try them on. Mm. And, and, uh, at the end of the conversation, if you feel like there was no value there, Hey, you know what? No big deal. Open the box and take everything out that was already yours. It's all good. Mm. And I always thought that Andy's way of having of framing that conversation was helpful because it never invalidates what the other person might presently think, even if what they think is part of what's causing their struggle. So, you know, the challenge that you and I have in having these types of conversations is I don't want to ever be perceived as, um, you know, like I'm a guru or I've just come down off the mountaintop and I've got a fresh set of tablets you know, and I'm I'm looking to replace somebody else's uh, belief system with mine. Uh, that's not what mm-hmm. you or I. Are about. I know you well enough to know no. we've had this conversation. Um, but very, very much interested though in, hey, what if there was a new way of looking at things? What if you could let go of some ideas that aren't serving you, and replace them with ideas that suddenly are producing sure. better results? And to me. Um that is a very validating and honorable way to help people from where they are without coming across like uh, you know like you, you some kind of a supernatural metaphysical yeah. I've got it all figured out I, I don't have it all figured out It's it's sort I of got a, a few things yeah,
0: out. It's a sort of safe house way of doing things as well isn't it you know it's you yeah, know, it's it's let's we can we we can get in, uncomfortable for a little while but you know we can still bolt back into this safety of your previous beliefs if you need to
1: You know, and I think, I think maybe too, maybe I've, maybe I I started onto that a little too early because maybe we should back up Mm. and acknowledge that. um, Well, this was true for me. I didn't know that you could change beliefs. Mm. Now, and and as soon as I say that, I realize, well, duh. But here's the thing, like everybody, everybody believes that their belief about something is true. Mm. Well, if it's true, why would you change it? Yeah. So I think there's a distinction between is something true? Is something um, workable? Mm-hmm. Is it usable? Is it um, serviceable? M- meaning, I've got an idea, say, and I'll give, a, let's use this as an example. So when I was growing up, Coming from the background that I described a few minutes ago, I had a few beliefs about um, becoming wealthy. And it was based on my worldview from living in a small farming village in North Carolina, going to a small school, uh, going to a, a small Methodist church, and just the the environment that I was in every day. And here's what I knew about being wealthy, Ozzy: I knew that in order to be wealthy, you had to have a college degree. Yeah. Um, I knew that you had to be a doctor or a lawyer and I knew that you had to work really hard, whatever that meant, like long hours or physically like success comes from, uh, hard work. And, um, and then I had some, some other beliefs that kind of orbited around those. I believe that, um, you had to be, a uh, being wealthy, uh, if you were a good person, You'd be wealthy. Um, I believed um, if you know what you want, that's a big one. If you know what you want, you know that's 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 the main thing. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, Or the other one that's popular right now is you need to find your passion. That's that's a big <laughs> yeah. one. Find your passion, and that's how you become successful. So early on, you know, when I've got kids laughing at me at school because my jeans are too short, and I realize, oh. There are haves and have nots and I'm not in the right group. Well, my little brain went to work trying to figure out how I was going to become a have mm. instead of have not, except I knew that, um, you had to have a college degree. You had to be a doctor or a lawyer and you had to work really, really hard. And I knew that I could work really, really hard, but I also knew that I did not have a college degree and I also knew that I was not a doctor or a lawyer. So at twenty one years old, I'm working, you know, as a general laborer for the local city, the local, you know, uh-huh. municipal department. Um, you know, sucking up you got that machine that sucks up wet leaves out of the ditches oh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, wintertime yeah, yeah. and um, you know, mowing the cemeteries in the summertime. And see those were examples of I had beliefs that wouldn't allow me to see a way to become wealthy. I wasn't even looking because what's the, what's the point in looking? Yeah. No. I already know I have to have a college degree and I already know that I have to, at that point, my belief had evolved to, um, you had to be, uh, at least a professional, like you didn't have to be a doctor or a lawyer, but you still had to be like an accountant or somebody that made your living with an ink pen instead of a shovel, you know? Sure. So anyway, so I said all that just to kind of set the context. These were beliefs. Yes. Yes. And so suddenly I encounter a guy who I'm, you know, regaling him with these stories of struggle and how my life's not working and I can't pay my bills and my car is about to get repossessed and nothing's working. And he looks at me and he says, so maybe you ought to, you know, maybe you ought to do some personal development and find out what you're doing. To make your life that way, mm-hmm. and um, I said, "What? What are, you, what are you saying? What are you? Are you saying I'm a, a bad person? What are you? What are you he like no? You mean this is my gotta, fault? <laughs> yeah. Like what you? What, this is this is the economy. This is yeah. the, uh, the the Republicans mm-hmm. and the Democrats, and you know. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got clear of that, and I realized that um, my life's not happening to me. I'm happening to my yeah. life. And that was the opportunity. That's all I had to see. If I could get there, then I was totally fine to like pull out my little set of beliefs and I would pick them up. One Figuratively, I would pick one up and I'd say, where did I get this belief? Mm. Why do I, what made me think this? And I would, I would look at a belief like, like say um, you, you have to be, uh, you have to have a college degree to be wealthy. And I would say, I don't know where this belief came from, but I can look around and I can find lots of evidence that it's not true, because here's uh, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, or um, Jeff Schwartz was a uh, a guy in my city who was a famously a uh, college dropout who was a local millionaire. And on and on and on, I could find lots of evidence that this belief's not true. And just like that, it was like blowing a dandelion. and I could just let these things go these misshapen, convoluted, warped ideas about how things had to be. I could just let it go. And all of a sudden I realized I don't have to have a college degree to be wealthy. And then I let go of the idea that I had to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, um, I even, I let go of the idea that I had to work hard or that I had to be highly educated, um, that you have to know the right people or that I had to, find this mythical passion like there's only one passion you got to spend your whole life trying to find what's your passion um, I was you know I mean I've done things that I'm very passionate about I also sold weight loss products when I weighed 165 pounds I didn't know anything about <laughs> weight loss needed and I made a lot of money so um, I, I guess my point there is that uh, just to backtrack a tiny bit we all of our forward progress comes from changing our mind about what we think we know. Uh So that's, in my case, it was letting go of some beliefs that weren't serving me. And then, um, and then the, the other thing that I mentioned that anytime we're looking at what's not serving us, it's always helpful to know that we can take what we think we know, put it in a box. It's safe. It's there. Let's explore. Let's look, let's try some things on, see what's working, see what's not. And uh, it doesn't cost anything to, to do that.
0: I sort of jokingly said, you know, it's my fault. And, and I can look back. I, I could be the poster child for stupid at some of the things that I've done in my, in my time looking back. And looking back, I know where problems have arisen. It's because of decisions I've made. It's not because of anybody else. I, I've done some crazy things in my time. Not bad things, but made poor decisions. And it's with the benefit of hindsight. That I can look back now, and and if you like, take a a more scientific, dispassionate view of uh, of those beliefs, then, and say, well, why did I decide that? Well, it's because I believed this to be true at the time. It had never occurred to me that I could do anything other than just go and get a job. Never occurred to me that that was what <laughs> that that was what was in store for me. Uh, I knew I needed an income, but that's different as. You know only too well, Tony. That's different from having a job, getting an income. Oh yeah. Um, But decisions I made include: I was living at home till I was twenty in the Midlands. Uh, I was working in Nottingham. You'll have heard of Nottingham, Robin Hood and all that sort of stuff. I was working in Nottingham. I was in what we call the civil... service. So you'd probably call it working in government over there, but working in the civil service over here. Very lowly paid. I was struggling to make ends meet at home. I then decided, because a friend of mine was at university at the time, at college in London, I'd visited him on a weekend, saw he was having a ball. Didn't think that he's having a ball because he's a student. He's got lots of time to go to parties and all that sort of stuff. And in those days, they got a grant. And I thought, I'd like to go and live in London, which I think at the time was probably the most expensive city in the world. Mm. And I moved to London at 20. Oh, wow. And I was struggling to make ends meet at home. (laughs) I mean, that was a crazy thing to do. And I still have, I still have somewhere, it's up in the attic somewhere, a letter from my bank. And in those days, banks were even less forgiving than they are now. And I still have this letter, dear Mister Air. We notice with some concern your account <laughs> is seven pounds overdrawn. Please adjust. And that was it. That was the sum total that I can quote oh, the letter to the world. Oh gosh! And I can, so, remember, I can I can remember. That
1: sounds so British to me. Oh
0: man, That's I can remember wonderful. my heart falling through the floor when I got this. Letter. Well, you know, I've got you know copper's in my pocket you know pennies in my pocket what am i going to eat for the rest of the month so i remember sheepishly phoning home and getting a five a cent in the post and all that sort of stuff
1: oh you gotta tell me though hold on you gotta go back and tell me what was the what was the language again we we have noticed we we note with some concern your account (laughs) is seven pounds
0: overdrawn please adjust Oh my gosh, that's just the best.
1: Hold on, let me get. I'm gonna get a sip of Earl Grey tea here. I got my tea here. I got to get a sip of Earl Grey while you say that. That's just wonderful. I love that. Okay, continue. Yeah. So, so
0: then I I was still in the civil service. I'd moved down with the, the civil service, and again, this is where a, an alarm bell should have rung. In those days, it was possible to move to London with the civil service, but impossible to transfer out because they'd got such a shortage of people to work in the civil service in London. They were, they, they were crying out for people. So you could move in with, with the organisation, but you could not transfer out. That should have told me, nobody wants to work in London in the civil service because they can't afford But no, 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 no. So I then drifted into retail. And the way I drifted into retail is that because at the time I was working in the civil service, I was working in a job centre, which is where people who are unemployed go to find work. I was working in a job centre, and this, this job came in for a large retail organisation. It would be unfair to, to name them. came in for this large retail organisation, and it was for a trainee supervisor. So the very lowest, 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 lowest rung on the managerial scale. And it was paying £300 a year more than I was currently getting. £300 a year. Not a month, a year. And I went and I got that job just because it was paying £300 a year. And that was the job I hated. I knew within 10 minutes of walking in the place I hated it. And I was there for 12 years and I allowed fear to keep me there. But um, but as I say, I can I can look back at, at those now with uh, those decisions that I took with a more dispassionate, still get angry about it, but uh, a more dispassionate scientific view and say, right, OK, this is why you messed up there. This is why you messed right. up there. This is why you messed up there. Because you, your beliefs were in the wrong the wrong place entirely. But, uh, I mean, uh, you said something there. You managed to shed yourself of the belief that you needed to work hard. Uh, was it Jim Rohn that said you something like you work harder on yourself than you do on your business? Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um There's a guy named – and I'm going to think of – I'll pull up his name in just a moment. Uh, Fred – I can't remember Fred's last name. Fred uh, made a lot of money over here in the States in the ice cream business years Mm -hmm. ago. He was the first person I ever heard say, um, if hard work and wealth show up at the same time in the same place, it's a coincidence, (laughs) not a cause-effect relationship. (laughs) And – um. It, it is somewhat related that, that sounds like a, it, it is the potential for a great aha moment. Mm. Uh, but it is very, very practical. It's not, you know, it, this is not about, you know, some metaphysical tuning of our minds and suddenly, oh, money just comes flying in the door. But it's, it's more of a practical analysis of why you get paid at all. Mm. Like what What is it we get paid for? And we ask that question, okay, what, what do you get paid for? Guy says, well, I get paid, um, you know, I get paid to do this for an hour. It's so like, well, that may, what that may be what it looks like, but what you're getting paid is the amount of value that you can produce in one hour for your employer. Yeah. And so we get paid for value. The only time anybody ever buys anything is because we want that thing more than we want the money in our pocket that it, that it costs to have it. Mm-hmm. So when you understand that making money is all – we're, all we're doing is we're exchanging our value for somebody else's currency. So when you step outside the the box of thinking that, you know, you, you have to earn your money in the form of a wage or a salary, then you can kind of stand back and say, okay, well, how can I be of more value? Mm-hmm forget my boss, forget my job. Just what, what problems do I see that I know how to solve? Or what is, what's this, uh, you know, one of the things that Jessica and I love about coming to London is, you know, the constant, every few hours we get to hear mind the gap, mind (laughs) the gap. I love it because what it reminds me of is that anytime you can see a gap between what people have and what they need, there's an opportunity there. Yeah. And And I'll give you a quick example um, several years ago, I was in a, I was in a situation where I noticed a lot of people doing the same work I was doing. They Mm -hmm. needed, they needed a system to, to do a particular function and they didn't have one. And they were either doing it manually by hand, or they were just kind of cobbling together a bunch of different things and kind of that it it wasn't it wasn't right it it wasn't a good situation so anyway i called up i I asked a friend and i said hey do you know a programmer he said yeah i know a guy named brian and i said will you give me brian's email address and i emailed this guy named brian and i said hey i know you don't know me but uh gene you and i have a mutual friend his name's gene and he tells me that you might could uh help me is it could you write a program that would do this I don't want to get really technical. It was just a thing that needed to be done. And Brian comes back and says, yeah, yeah, I can can probably have that to you within a month. And here's what it'll cost. And needless to say, I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. I was making Mm -hmm. some money, but I couldn't afford what he was asking for. So I emailed him back and I said, well, how about this? How about you do it for free? (laughs) How about if you'll do it for free, how about we come to an arrangement where you just make, a percentage, uh huh. Um, you know of of how much I sell this for because my idea, Ozzy, was if I could have a system that would solve that problem, I knew plenty of people who would of pay a monthly you, subscription.
0: You've got a market there already. So yeah.
1: the idea there was if he picked up five dollars or three or four bucks per subscription times, you know, a uh, hundred or two hundred people. Then it might take him a little longer to get his money, but it's a win-win for both of us. Yeah. So long story short, and I and I really will crunch this down. Long story short, um, 30 days later, I realized I have started a software company. I know nothing <laughs> at all about software. Um, I, I literally did nothing except I emailed a programmer and asked him to do something. And, and we both signed a piece of paper agreeing on how much money he would get. He did all of the work when I say all of it, I mean, literally I did nothing. And then when it was ready, um uh, I told a few people and it was really happy about it. And we said, you know, it's $45 a month. And, and they were ecstatic. And they told a couple people and I, I don't even think if I, I was, I was thinking about this story this morning. I don't think we even bought an ad. I don't recall us ever spending any money on advertising. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, a few people told a few people and then suddenly it just, it went nuts. And within about a year, it might've been about it. It might've been under a year. I'm not sure, but I would say 12 to 14 months. Um, we had between 2,500 and 3000 customers all paying $45 a month. Um, which I don't, you know, a little back of the napkin math here. Uh-huh. um, You know, we were billing over a hundred thousand dollars a month. Fantastic! And we had one. We had one employee. We had a guy named Andy who handled um, customer support tickets. And uh, Brian was making something like I think he got like fifteen grand a month. And we found out later, (laughs) we found out later that he was outsourcing too. So we were (laughs) paying. He was really. um, He was a clever fellow because we were paying him about fifteen grand a month for the for the programming. Mm. And I think he had somebody, um, in the Philippines or Bangladesh or someone, somebody was doing it for him for like three grand. So when I found out about it, I was only angry for about a minute and <laughs> I, I thought, well, good for <laughs> you, yeah, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but I, yeah. and I didn't mean to go on yeah. about it, but, no, no, but there's good. an example where we made millions of dollars and it was literally the easiest, I don't even know if you call it work, i I really just saw the gap. You know, yeah. mind uh, the gap, okay. Yeah, well,
0: yeah, it's not something you deliberately set out to do either, yeah. is it? I mean, it's like I didn't set out, because I don't know if you know, I've got a, um, uh, one of the ways I, I, I earn money is I've got an animation business. I do animated videos. And I started that by, I was promoting some affiliate offers, and uh, I won't go into any details about that, but I, I, I was Doing some videos on that, and I, I got one or two other people who were marketing that same offer. Yeah, contact me. Say, where'd you get that video done? And I said, well, I did it. And I said, well, would you do one for me? Right. I thought, yeah. And it happened once or twice, and, I, and then I thought, well, hang on a minute. Maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm better at making these videos. <laughs> Maybe that's right. something. I, you know. So, so I, I started doing more, and then I sort of got into voiceovers as well inexplicably people pay me to, to read stuff out for them. And,
1: um, see, that's wonderful. I just think that I I love that. Um, I love voiceover artists, particularly. I love voiceover artists, mostly because I'm, I have maybe in a parallel universe, if there was such a thing, maybe somewhere, I am uh, doing voiceover or I have a voice that would be suitable for voiceover because I've you, always your been... voice would definitely be suitable mate. I could tell you. Well I can do the I can do the the Southern I would do the Southern barbecue uh commercials maybe. But what I love about that is that people can just walk into a studio and just they have everything they need on them. You know, they just yeah. can do the work, you know. But but back to your original question, if if you if the, the context for making money is that you have to show up somewhere for a certain number of hours, um, well then you, you have to be pretty well paid per hour because there's yeah, only so many yeah. hours a day. Yeah. So you'll, you'll never really get wealthy working per, by the hour. But um, when, you, when you stand back and ask the question, how can I be a value Uh, There's a guy in my city, um, he, the, the guy that he, he details our cars Uh and that's all he, and now he's like, he started off with, you know, Hey, I don't want to have to go get a job. Uh, He got laid off. He went and bought some supplies for washing cars and he started just putting the word out that he was available to detail cars at people's homes. So you don't even have to go anywhere. He'll come to you, make your car showroom clean. And, um, you know, and he charges more because it's, uh, it's a matter of convenience. And now he's got like multiple crews that work all over town and he doesn't, I think he still works on one of the crews Uh because he's a, he just likes it, I guess. And it's one person he doesn't have to pay, but like in that scenario, he found a gap and, um, now we could argue that he, that in that line of work, he may quote work hard, but you could just as well as argue that if he was doing the same work for somebody else, he'd be making a 10th of what he's yeah. making, you know? So I think if we stand back and we just say, let's find all the evidence we can of somebody who's able to make a lot of money, the kind of money we want to make, uh-huh. and they're not having to grind it out 60 and 80 hours a week, then I think that creates all the space in the world for us to say, I get to be part of that group. Yeah, I, w- I want to find out how I can I can have that experience. Yeah.
0: Now you you mentioned, you, I mean, it was a sort of throwaway comment about your your uh, software guy outsourcing. Now that might to some of the listeners here, I, I think might be a concept that's maybe unfamiliar. You see, one of the things that if if you're in a large corporate organization, you Probably have an accounts department that deals with the accounts, a marketing department that deals with marketing, a sales department, a product development department. You name it. You've got all these different departments, and you're worried that if you step out on your own, your own business, you've all of a sudden got to be all of those. You've got to be your own product development. You've got to be your own sales department. You've got to be your own marketing department. Anything that crops up, you've got to deal with it. Yeah. And maybe in the early days, that's not a bad thing to do because you can find out about all of those things yourself anyway and you want to get a handle on it. And there are times when I think, well, I could outsource this, but I want to find out how to do it myself first so I don't. I know that I'm not going to get ripped off. <laughs> but, right. But that outsourcing, uh, I, I think, is something that may come as a relief to, to people to know that, hang on a minute, it doesn't mean that I've got to do it all myself.
1: Right. Well, um, I don't remember who said it. Probably several people have said it at some point. Um, you know, leverage is the key to wealth. You'll, you'll never get wealthy without some mm. form of, of leverage. Leverage could take the form of compound interest. If you are an investor, um, if you're a business owner, you have leverage in the form of employees. Um, maybe people in the direct sales industry have leverage in the form of, uh, you know, uh, other reps in the organization working. So there's all kinds of leverage, but sooner or later, we've got to get out of the one to one ratio of time and money. Um, and this, and this actually goes back to the, the, the ice cream guy that I was talking about a moment ago, Fred Mm -hmm. Gratson, I think is his name. But Fred's comment was about hard work. He said, "Well, it is true that if one if working one hour will get you one something, then working ten hours would get you ten somethings. Mm-hmm. That that is true. But what if you want a million somethings? Yeah, you you yeah. got to have a, a new math. You 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 can't get there with this one plus one plus one scenario. So leverage is um, everybody's got to have leverage. Otherwise, you just wind up you know grinding and outsourcing." Is fantastic because I'm. There's a. I'm not good at most things. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I I am really really good at maybe three things in business. Ah, who am I kidding? I'm good at Mm. two things in business. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm okay at the third thing. Uh, But most of the things that it takes to actually make a lot of money, I'm not very very good at it. And so uh, when I started. Jessica and I kind of divided up the, the the work and she did the things that I was lousy at. Um, and then I did, I did Mm -hmm. the stuff that I was really good at and vice versa. Uh, and then over time we, we got to where, you know, we don't want to, both of us have to be working like we're working. And so we hired an assistant and the beautiful thing is hiring an assistant sounds so intimidating. Um, you know, because, you know, maybe if people are listening who are, you know, maybe my or your age. Um, you know, the idea of hiring an assistant, that seems, you know, we have a an idea of what that might have been like in the eighties. Yeah. Or the nineties, where it means you gotta bring on an employee. Oh yeah.
0: I mean I, I remember all that pain when I when I was in business with myself, you know. Yeah. Empl- yeah.
1: But I'm gonna <laughs> so no, physically shut it yeah. then. <laughs> well it's so easy now yeah. because there's like there's a little software called Toggle. Uh-huh. I think it's T-O-G-G-L, I believe is how it's – anyway, Toggle is a time clock. And so, um, like, we have, um, we have a lady in Florida, a fantastic lady in Carolyn, and she works part-time. She's a uh, stay-at-home mom, and she's a homeschooling mom. And she's uh, – but she used to be really, really high up in customer service for – um, a hotel chain. So she's Uh really great at customer support and taking care of customers. And so what she does is a few times a day, she'll sit down and log into the customer service ticket system and she'll answer, you know, all these tickets and the whole time she's doing it, this little thing called toggle is just keeping track of how long she's logged in. Mm -hmm. And when she gets done, toggle turns off. And then at the end of the week, she goes into toggle, pushes a button, and it generates a report that totals up all her little seven minutes here and three uh-huh. minutes there and thirty minutes there. And so um, you know, maybe last week she maybe did uh you know seven, ten hours of work. Uh-huh. I think I think we pay her I don't remember what we pay Carolyn. It's it's not a lot. It could be like say it's twenty. Maybe it maybe uh-huh. may maybe maybe it's twenty dollars an hour. But that's, that's I mean, fantastic. that's invaluable because I don't have to do customer yeah. service. Um, yeah, yeah, and we have a, a business manager who he, he takes care of all the accounting, all the legal. I mean, he, he's just fantastic, and that just creates all the space in the world for me to do stuff, of the stuff, uh, the the three things that I'm really good at, and um, it makes me a lot happier. And you're not paying her forty hours a week when she's only working for the ten or whatever, you know? right? Because that was the old model, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. You, yeah, the old model was you had to like, well, how do you hire somebody that only needs yeah. to work seven hours? You yeah. couldn't. Yeah. Well, today because the internet, you can really, uh, you can really, you know, have a lot of flexibility around that sort of thing. Sure. Programmers, sure. Uh, graphics, graphics artists. There's so many wonderful places you can go online. Wow. If you need a logo, you need a product cover designed. Uh, you know, you can spend. Uh, I mean, I'm well, picky you can, about. You can design. spend as
0: little. Yeah, but you can spend as little as five dollars, can't you? Go to Fiverr and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's,
1: yeah, it doesn't have to yeah. be expensive. Now yeah. I'm I'm a bit of a snob No, I, I can understand design, that. so you know I might I might pay hundred fifty dollars yeah. or hundred dollars to, but but I'm also you know working on a product that makes you know tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, so it works nicely. But yeah, it's uh, there's so there's just no excuse anymore for anybody to do something that they hate so, just to make money. Yeah, it's, yeah, those days are gone. Absolutely. Now, one thing that we
0: haven't talked about so far is a new project you're working on. Um, I, I, I hope you're okay to talk about it. I mean, I've been privileged to to sneak in on, on the first group and get an early look <laughs> at it. Are, are, are you happy to talk about it? First, I mean, we can cut this bit out if you want. No, you're no, not. no, I'd, if, I'd, I'd love to. And, and well, maybe to- you'd like to give your listeners a, the listeners an insight in what you've got going on there.
1: Yeah, well, it's actually an extension of some of the ideas that we've hinted at. And what's funny is that you and I didn't have any real preliminary conversation about what we would wind up talking about. But no. you and I had such a common ground on some of this stuff. We, we've actually wound up discussing some of the things that we talk about in this <laughs> project. But, um, my primary work, um, is helping small businesses and entrepreneurs grow their business. But as you can tell from this conversation, uh, I've also got this really enormous interest in helping people move forward in their personal lives. And so, um, a few months ago I got the idea to do this pet project. It was outside of my regular company and what we always focus on. And I, I started kind of thinking about this idea of rational personal development and the idea of creating a conversation with a a really small group of people to kind of help them sort out, the, the weeds from the flowers, you know, it's kind of the mm-hmm. stuff that Ozzy and I have been talking about here. Um, why does goal setting not work for most people? Cause it doesn't. Mm. Uh, why, why does, uh, you know, why, why is it that the law of attraction seems to work sometimes, but it's uh, at least in most people that I've talked to in my own experience, it's so, uh, capricious and uh, almost unreliable. You can never really have confidence that the way you're thinking about your goals is actually going to have anything to do with whether they show up in your life or not. Yeah, it's hardly infallible, is it? No, it's so, and it's so frustrating. I, I was so frustrated for years because, I mean, I carried the goal card in my pocket, and I wrote out the <laughs> affirmations, and I had the vision board, and I'd read Thinking Grow Rich until the cover was falling off. And uh, and I got value uh, of some form out of almost. Uh, there's some stuff I got no value out of. There's a lot of stuff out yeah. there that's just rubbish. But you know, having earned a lot of money and created quite a nice lifestyle for me and my family, um, this I got obsessed with this idea of let's let's kind of peel back the layers and let's find out what really was the cause of of what worked and what didn't. So anyway, so I started this conversation it's called Making Friends with Money. And it's um, it's at makingfriendswithmoney.com. And uh, there's a video there if you can watch it, but actually the the first video that I put out was about this really weird habit that I had that I didn't know I didn't even know it was a habit, I didn't know I was doing it, but that it literally I always had about $350 in my bank account. I could never get over 350. Mm-hmm. And what was funny, and I, I don't know if I've shared this with you, Ozzy, but I actually ran into it again, same problem about a year later. I thought I was doing well. And suddenly I got to this point where I could never get past $7,500 in my bank account. And it didn't matter uh-huh. how hard I worked, how much I saved. Um, it, it If I had a really, really great month, something would come along and and wipe out my surplus. So same problem, just a different number, just a different number, you know, and and it it may go up the ladder like that. I don't know. But what I do know is that when I finally got clear of some of the, uh, the practical issues that were holding me back, it really created a lot of space for me to really see more clearly how to get from where I I was to where I wanted to go. Uh So this is a small group mastermind and it's going on right now. Um, and it's called, it's at makingfriendswithmoney.com. And um, it's, it's, I don't know, we're, we may go four weeks or five weeks. I'm, I'm not really sure. But uh, anyway, we had our first session and it's, it's the feedback so far has been really a lot well, of, it's
0: certainly been an eye opener for me. I can tell you. Oh, good. Uh, and again, I, again, I'm not blowing smoke. It's, it really has. There's uh, been a couple of um, sort of exercise books that Tony's put out and um, I've been working through them and uh, Normally, you know, you'll get things with a course, and you'll look at them, and you think, "Oh, yeah, I understand that." But I've I've really got involved with this. I've I've really um sort of put in the time. You know, normally, I, I I'll be, <laughs> I've stick my hands up. I you know, I've bought things in the past. I've got hard drives full of stuff, and I bought things in the past. I've I've sort of looked at them, maybe read them, and that's been as far as it's gone. But I this, have a great this, this
1: this. I have a great great talent, Ozzy, for. Purchasing courses and not going through them. Ah, oh, man, I've got hard drives. For <laughs> there's them. quite a yeah. lot that I have gone through, but I can yeah. I can take you to the office and show you. You know, like oh yeah, I bought that one and did yeah. like the first two yeah. chapters. So I think we've all done it. Um, yeah. The the thing that I'm particularly excited about um, about this pet project is uh, already after just I think we've been maybe talking now for is there's a Facebook group and you know there's we mm-hmm. eat on a video conference, but um, I'm loving, I'm loving the conversations of people coming back after this first little segment and they're saying, I thought something was wrong with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, cause I was doing everything right and it wasn't working and I feel so relieved to know that there wasn't anything wrong with me. It's that I had an mm. incomplete recipe or, and, um, and the big thing, and, and, I, and I suppose you could probably tell from our conversation here is, um, it's, it's very practical. Um, yes. matter of fact, I, yes. the outline that I've already started working on for this week is very much about um, some of the latest research that's been done in psychology. Um, we're also going to pull some, uh, some really, really amazing uh, data from an experiment that was done in 1879. Uh, there's also a Japanese researcher who, he did an experiment, I think it was in the 90s, that it may just completely blow a hole in the whole concept of like goal setting in general. Um, not not to invalidate goal setting, but just that it doesn't work in the way sometimes the oversimplified explanations
0: So yeah. so, so it's,
1: it's very it's very uh, easy to understand, but it's also we're we're trying to keep it really practical.
0: So that website again is. Oh, uh, makingfriendswithmoney.com. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes for this as well. So people Thanks. can, uh, if, if they're driving, they, they, they can see it in the show notes. But no, to, pull look,
1: over. Pull over and write it back up. No. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> Listen, uh,
0: I, I can tell you, look, anybody who knows me knows I like my bed. Uh, I was on that first conversation last week uh, with Tony. And because of the time difference between the UK uh, and the US, I eventually got to my bed at 4.30 in the morning. And I still couldn't sleep because I was buzzing with excitement from, from that first. Uh, um, well, so if it, if it can keep me out of bed till four thirty in the
1: morning, it's doing well. Well, we should have uh, recorded then because I was awake as well. I, I yeah, uh, yeah, we could have yeah, gone it's, for it then. It's fun, time. But I yeah. but that's me. I like I have unlimited energy for talking yeah. about the stuff that actually moves people forward in life. Yeah, I, I can yeah. I can go all day, but. That's you cool.
0: probably have a time limit for a podcast, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> Tony, uh, no, uh, but, uh, but I, I am very aware that I've um, <laughs> in, imposed upon your generosity and your time. I, I really do appreciate it, Tony. Uh, but, uh, I've enjoyed hanging if, out with you. Well, well, maybe we could invite you again some, some other time. Come back, because I'm sure the listeners are going to be uh, sending me emails or whatever to do that. And look, if you want to, actually, if you do want to email me, you can do that to aussie at whensmytime.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter, at Aussie Air. That's O-Z-Z-Y or o-double-z-y-e-y-r-e, And be sure not to miss, because we will try and twist Tony's arm to get back on here, so be sure not to miss that. Go over to iTunes and subscribe, because that way you'll never miss another episode. And while you're there, how about leaving a review? Leave a review for this episode, that'd be fantastic. And leave a bunch of stars as well. Five stars always preferable because that helps this rise in the rankings. It also gives my ego a massive stroke, which is the real reason behind it. But what we want to do is get this up in the rankings so that other people can find it. How's that? Is that a good deal? Tony, thank you so much indeed. Uh, I really do appreciate it, as I'm sure will all the listeners. And uh, we'll make sure we get them coming over and visiting you at make, makefriendswithmoney.com.
1: Oh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, and, uh, as always, man, thank you. It really is uh, fantastic to hang out with you and thank you for the good work that you're doing here. I, um, just the, and I, will say this and i and I'll turn it back over to you to close. I just, you said something in one of your previous podcasts that just so resonated with me that as far as, far as we know, we got one shot with the time, this time that we have. And, um, it, it is such a tragedy for people to go through life settling for less than they deserve so i I love that you're out here producing content uh like you have now for 99 episodes and i get to you know be part of this conversation but 99 episodes of solid gold they're really taking a stand for people that they can um that they that they do have some causality over what kind of life they they wind up living so thank you for all you do
0: Well, Tony, it's my turn to blush now. Thank you you for those sweet words. You've been listening to Tony Rush and I've been Ozzie Air, founder of whensmytime.com. And I'm here to tell you, your time is now.